Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Here's the deal, okay? I don't want to, you know, put, put this out there, but I am going to. Do you know how hard I pray that it wouldn't rain this week? I prayed hard that it would not rain because all week, all I saw was, you know, showers in the morning, showers in the morning, showers in the morning. So this morning, we're going to give God some praise that we're not wet. Can we do that really quick? See, I, I, I'm excited for that because here's the deal. We've been getting ready for a long time for this. We are excited to kind of officially jump in here. So if you are new, my name is Derek. I am the pastor here. Um, I am old enough to do this. I do assure you of that. I like to kind of get that out with all of our first-time guests because a lot of people are like, hey, are you the pastor or are you the kid of the pastor? I am the pastor. And so I'm just glad we can get that out of the way. But we've been getting ready, and I particularly love this time of year because uh, fall in, in the mom household, is a huge deal. Uh, we've decorated. We've got fall scented candles. Uh, on Thursday, we, we watch football. But I think one reason why we love so uh, fall so much, at least for me personally, is fall was when I finally kind of tricked my wife into loving me and finding me attractive. Okay, because here's what happened. Uh, I knew from the moment I laid eyes on this beautiful woman in the front row here that I wanted to marry her. Uh, she was incredible. She was beautiful. I knew that was the one for me. She didn't know that at the time. And she didn't know that I was the one yet. So I had to really turn on the charm up my game. And I assure you, I didn't have any game. So I had to try my best but every fall we did this thing at our college where we would go to an apple orchard with the people on our floor and i knew that meg was going to be there so i knew this was this was the time if i'm going to bring my a game this is the time i am going to do it so i put on my cleanest pair of pants because i was in college there wasn't a clean pair i just had the cleanest pair I put on my favorite shirt that I knew, and I wear this shirt, I was like, I know I'm like feeling it, all right? And then I knew just the cherry on top was my sunglasses, because when I put my sunglasses on, it was game time. So here I go, I'm like, all week I'm getting ready, I'm picking out my outfit, and yes, I assure you, I did do that, for real. I was getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, and the day finally comes, I was like, this is the day that I finally woo my wife to be my wife. This is going to be great. I show up to the apple orchard. There she is in, in her, her fall sweater. She, her smile just kind of comes onto her face. And I turn into a puddle, and I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this, but I'm going to do it. And then she goes off with the other group. And I don't see her all day at the apple orchard. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. This is, this is not going to work. I also found out at the same uh, later on when I actually did kind of, you know, get in, into Meg's graces that the glasses I wore, she actually hated uh, and they repulsed her as a matter of fact. Uh, and so ironically, those, those aren't here anymore. I don't know what happened to them, but they're just not in existence here. Uh, but long story short, it ended up being uh, a, a long different story of how we got together. But I got to assure you, Leading up to that apple orchard day, I literally every single day woke up going, I cannot wait for Saturday because I can't wait to spend time with Meg. I can't wait to just kind of like to try and get in front of her and do all these different things. I just could not wait. I was getting ready all of the time. 
And as people, I think we're really good at this. We're really good at just waiting for something that's to come. For the hunters and fishers in the, in, in the place right now, I was gonna say the room, but this is a really big room, if you will, okay? If for all you hunters out there, you have been waiting for 11 months for the time we are in right now. You've been thinking about it, you've been strategizing, you've been looking for it. Ladies and guys who love apple orchards, it's your time. Now you can go out there and it's gonna be great, right? We are really good at waiting for things that we want. Maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a marriage, but we kind of have these innate driven things within us that we cannot wait to step into this. If you were in Israel 2,000 years ago, you knew there was a man named, you don't know the name, but you knew there was a Messiah that was going to come. He was going to be the person who got you free. He was going to save you from all these different things. You heard about him for generations upon generations, and you could not wait for him. But you didn't know when it was coming. You didn't know who it would be. All you knew was it was coming. So when Jesus steps onto the scene, it kind of there's some pieces started to come into place where people thought maybe just maybe this could be the guy. He started to do really miraculous things. He healed a man who was paralyzed, and he stood up and off he walked. He opened the eyes of the blind. He knew your story before you could even tell it. Jesus knew a lot of really crazy things that only. A prophet or even greater known as the Messiah could do that. So as you can imagine, he kind of drew a crowd. Jesus was really good at drawing a crowd. Matthew chapter 8 says this. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. We talked about this last week. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Mark chapter 1 says it a little bit differently. He says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. But there's some words in there that we really have to dive into. Because here's the deal. You have this large crowd. You have this large crowd following Jesus down the mountainside. And here we are, we're, we're, we're all together, and there's this really big crowd. But in the middle of the crowd, there's this man who runs through the crowd, kneels at Jesus' feet, and says, hey, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He falls on his knees at Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This is not your six-year-old in the cereal aisle at Coburn's who is begging for the marshmallow cereal that's full of sugar. This is like a different kind of desperation. This is the desperation that says, hey, I, am, I have no other options. Will you make me clean? Will you help me? This is, this is a whole different kind of desperation. And why was he so desperate? Why in the world was it that he was so desperate to get to Jesus? Because he had this thing known as leprosy. In biblical times, leprosy was a catch-all for sickness or disease, but more often than not, leprosy kind of signifies Hansen's disease. If you don't know what Hansen's disease is, I'm going to spare you the details because we plan to have lunch after this, and I really don't want to go into all the nasty details. But basically, here's what Hansen's disease is. It's a little disease that starts underneath your skin that starts as little red bumps, no different than like mosquito bites or anything like that, but it gets worse and worse and worse over time to where it actually will eat your flesh from the inside out and it will slowly deteriorate your body until you die. Encouraging on a Sunday morning to kick off the church service, right? Isn't that awesome? Leprosy was a bad, bad deal. The only equivocal thing we can compare it to is cancer. But this leprosy was one of those things where it would slowly eat at you away. But to make matters even worse, if you had leprosy, 
people were so worried it was contagious that you would be ostracized. If you, were, if you had leprosy, you would be put outside of the city, outside of the gate. And the Jewish people kind of put this custom into place where it's like, hey, you can't even go within six feet of someone who has leprosy. And it became this thing where you would be separated from the rest of your people. You'd be separated from what's going on. And what would happen from then on is people just took that and ran with it. So often that people would be like, I'm not even going to treat a leper like a good person. I'm going to stay as far away from them as possible. One commentator I read this week said people would actually brag about not being close to lepers. Like, hey, where are you getting your produce this week? Off on Hanson? No, not on Hanson. I don't go down there because there's a leper down there. So I try to keep myself away from them. They would brag about the fact that they would separate themselves from leper, from lepers. So I want you just to picture this because I know sometimes when we read the Bible, we read this and it's like, okay, what does that mean to me? But we need to put ourselves into the context of what's happening because what happens here in Mark chapter 1 was a huge deal. Because you have this whole crowd who is following Jesus, seeing what he's doing, and then you have this leper who comes through the crowd. And I can promise you, nobody in that crowd wants to be anywhere near this leper. So I can almost picture this separation of the crowd. This man who wiggles his way through the crowd. Everyone finds out he's a leper, and everyone jumps back like, no, 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 no. I'm nowhere near that guy. Because they were so scared they would catch the same nasty disease. When he, when he kneels before Jesus, the crowd, I can assure you, just stepped way back because they don't want to be anywhere near this. So how does the rest of the story go? Verse 41, it says, Jesus was indignant. Does everyone know what indignant means? Because I did it. Full-fledged, full, full, full fledged. Like with, a, with a degree in college, I, I read Indignant, and I had to go and, and search it up on the dictionary.com. But it basically means compassion. If you look at the same, the same verse in a different version, it says, Jesus was indignant or Jesus had compassion. The Greek word in this particular case is, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I would butcher it, but here's what it means. The English translation of compassion isn't strong enough. When it says Jesus was compassionate or Jesus had compassion, there was a kind of a love and affection that compassion doesn't do it justice. They actually compare it to when you have your firstborn child. When I had my son in my arms, I literally could not describe to you the feelings that I had. So much love. Like I literally, like 20 minutes ago, didn't even know who you were, but yet when you're in my arms, there's something about there that like, I would take a bullet for you. Because I love you so much. I have so much compassion on you. That's the kind of compassion or love that Jesus has when he says he was indignant. So this man, again, really the story back. You have this man who comes and kneels before Jesus and says, Jesus, if you're willing, if you're willing to do this, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant. He was compassionate. And then he reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing he said be clean i am willing be clean see jesus you have all these people that jesus is preaching to all these people that he's talking to you have this whole thing happening and nobody else wants to be anywhere near this man but he comes to jesus with so much desperation saying god if you are willing i know you can do this 
And as he does it, he touches, he, he doubles down, he does the unthinkable, he touches the man. Again, I need us to understand this. It's one thing to talk to the man. It's one thing to acknowledge him. But while everybody else is at least six feet from this one man who's got a lot of disease, Jesus looks at the man in his eyes, says, I am willing, and he touches him and says, be clean. He touched him. He, he wasn't worried about the disease. He wasn't worried about all these things. He just wanted the man to know, hey, I'm willing to do this for you. Be clean. In verse 42 goes on and says, Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. He was cleansed immediately. Imagine somebody that you know who's in a hospital bed, who has stage 4 cancer or leukemia, who's in their final moments. And Jesus were to walk into the hospital room, touch them, and not only are they better, but they get up, they walk out of the hospital bed, and they, they walk out of the hospital. This is exactly what's happening here in Mark chapter 1. This man is on the final legs of his disease. Luke chapter 5 says he was full of leprosy. This leprosy had been in the advanced stages, stage 4, if you will. He was on the verge of dying. He had no other recourse than to go to Jesus. And Jesus touches him, and he immediately the leprosy left, and he was cleansed. Up until this time, this never happened. This was, this was crazy. This was wild for this to happen. And so many times we look at the miracle because it's, it's, it's common to why wouldn't we? It was an incredible, bona fide medical marvel. But the part that sticks out to me about Mark chapter 1 is how Jesus interacts with the man. Because not a single soul for years, months, however long it had been, we don't know exactly. But he had been outside of the city gate, alone, walking through a terrible, life-altering disease by himself with no other person. Nobody else would be within six feet of him. And Jesus sees the man, looks him in the eye, and says, hey, I am willing touches him and he's clean he took the time he took the care he took the affection to talk to a man who was literally untouchable and the story ends this way jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning see that you don't tell this to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that moses commanded for you for your cleansing as a testimony to them I grew up in a very traditional church sense, like a very, very traditional one. My, my grandmother grew up in a very traditional church, so every Saturday she would bring us to church. And I always said I was dragged to church because it was almost that bad. It was almost like the collar, you know, with the, with the strong grandmother hand, like, get in the car, you know, one of those kind of things. And so you can imagine I loved it. I loved it. I loved going to church, right? When you get dragged to it, it's just awesome. And you're, you're an eight-year-old who's got the attention span of a small squirrel. And you have to sit through an hour-long service of songs you don't know, right? It was not super fun for me. I have nothing bad against that. I actually have so much appreciation for my grandmother. But I need us to understand that when we look at traditional backgrounds, that's very similar to where we get some of the Old Testament literature or we get some of the Old Testament uh, context here. Because in Leviticus 13, the reason that he had to go to the priest was because the priest 
would be the one who would diagnose people. Because in Leviticus 13, I'm not going to get into the weeds because not a lot of us maybe have read Leviticus 13. But basically, if you were sick, you had to go to the priest. And the priest was the one who would tell you whether you could stay in with the people or whether you had to be ostracized because you were sick. So as a result, the reason Jesus says, hey, I want you to go to the priest was because the priest had to sign off on you being able to join back society again. It was the priest who said, hey, you can rejoin the rest of people because your disease is gone. So why would Jesus send him back? If he was clean and everybody saw it, why in the world would he send the man back? It was because Jesus wanted the man to be back a part of community. Everyone in this place, everyone in this room, everyone in this outside service, all throughout the Bible, all over the place, God prioritizes community. Adam, in the very beginning in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, Adam had everything he could possibly wanted. God was right there in the garden, but yet God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. Even from the very beginning, he needed someone to be there. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Matthew 18 says where two or three are gathered together, there I am with them. We are created for community. It's within our DNA, DNA as human beings. Because here's the deal. Did you notice that when the man came to Jesus, Jesus didn't preach to him first. He didn't preach to him first. He didn't say, the man comes to his to him, he kneels down and says, Jesus, I know you can do this. I know you're capable of this. I know you've healed someone who is paralyzed. I know that you can take this leprosy out of my body. So if you're willing, will you make me clean? What did Jesus not do in that moment? He didn't say, hey, clean yourself up and then I will. He didn't say, hey, go to the temple first and then we'll talk about it. Hey, make sure you, you fully commit to me before I do that. Did he do any of that? No. What did he do? He looked at a man who was by himself, completely by himself. He looked him in the eye. He reaches his hand out and he touches him. A man who probably hadn't had a human being touch him for months or years. He touches him and says, what does he say? I'm willing. Be clean. I'm willing. With no strings, no commitments, no nothing, he says, I am willing. Be clean. He didn't preach to him first because he knew he had value as a human being. Here at the Bridge Church, our values are to belong, believe, become in that order. Because a lot of times it feels like when you come to church, it's the opposite. I need to become a better person, and then I'll believe in Jesus. And when I believe in Jesus, then I can belong to a church. That's so backwards. Because here at this church, I want you to know, you belong even before you believe. You belong here. You belong exactly as you are. But we believe in a Jesus Christ that has died and has resurrected. That he's alive and he's active and his Holy Spirit is doing something new inside of us. And that is how we become the greatest versions of ourselves. You belong here before you believe. Exactly as you are. You matter here because you matter to him. You belong here in the same way that that man belonged to Jesus. See, Jesus didn't send the leper 
to the priest because he needed to prove himself. You'll find the theme of Jesus is he doesn't need to prove himself. His work speaks for himself. His preaching speaks for himself. But he sent him back to the priest because he knew that you as a human being, you need to be back with people. You need to be back with the rest of your, your fellow peers. You need to be back. And that's why he sent him back to the priest so he could get the clean bill of health and rejoin civilization. Christ-like community is one that is both vertical and horizontal. When you say yes to Jesus, you have a connection with God that's unbreakable. But what happens as a result is you have a connection with other people that gets you through life. Just this week, even, there was people that I was talking through this week that they went through some of the most scary, intense kind of stuff that they could think of in recent memory this week. And it was so cool to see people within this church rally behind them and say, we're praying with you, we're loving you, we're encouraging you, we're here with you together. In the same token, I had someone text me last night with something that they've been working towards, something, a personal goal they've been striving to, to, to go after for months. And they texted me last night and they said, guess what? I did it. I accomplished it. And we celebrated it together. That's what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be something through the highs and the lows of life. We walk through it together. We don't criticize. We don't scold. We don't shame. We are a corporation. We are not a corporation. We are a collective group of people. be awesome for a corporation. <laughs> but we are a collective of people, right? That through the highs and lows of life, we are walking through this thing together. Why? Because we are better together. I know for a lot of you, if you were being honest, if you could choose to be in a space of 180 people or 1.8 people, you would choose 1.8 people. I'm not going to get into the weeds of how we could get a 0.8 of a person, but we'll figure that out later. <laughs> child that'd work yeah right we have these things where we so us would rather just not be in groups of people and i totally get it because when you're an introvert i'm not saying you have to be an extrovert but what i am telling you is we are meant to be together a story i read in college that was incredibly depressing but incredibly telling was a, a, a study from about 50 60 years ago about the impact of of connection it was a sociology experiment. So what they did is they found an orphanage in a, in, in a random, I can't remember the country, uh, I believe it's somewhere in Europe though. It was an orphanage in Europe and they did this, this sociological study where they tried to study the impact of a human touch on another human. So what they did is they split the orphanage in half. They had these kids over here, these kids over there, and they were anywhere from you know brand new infants to two years old. And so this half over here, all the orphanage workers would really kind of do your typical childcare stuff, right? Change their diaper, feed them, you know, kind of coddle them, bounce them, sing to them. All you good parents, like, you, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? The cuckoo, all the good stuff. I'm not going to, I'm not going to kind of walk through that because that would be mortifying as your pastor. But you understand, right? Like you, th These are the stereotypical, I'm going to love on my baby, I'm going to touch him, I'm going to play with their feet, I'm just going to do everything I would normally do for any normal child. On this side. On this side, they didn't get any extra love, affection, or touch. They changed their diaper and set them back in their crib. They gave them their bottle and off they walked out. They gave them no social interaction beyond what was absolutely necessary to keep them alive. 
The sad part about the study is they had to shut it down early because there were infants and babies on this side that were getting major sicknesses, major illnesses, and dying purely because they had no actual physical touch and affection. Psychologists rallied around this and said it had to be, hello, <laughs> had to be simply because they didn't have the affection and the touch of human beings. God shows us throughout scripture that we were meant for community. We were meant for being together. It's why physically, genetically, things like that happen and that psychological study happen because we need to walk through things together. Because here's the deal. A lot of you are in this place and you're in very different seasons of life. Some of you walked into this place today and if you were to be really honest with me, you're like, hey, I don't even know if I believe in God right now. I'm just walking through it. I'm going through a tough season. I don't even know if I believe in God right now. Maybe you're like, I do believe, but I'm just going through a really dry spot right now. Maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. You're like, you know what? My faith has never been this strong. I've never felt this good. I'm just so excited for what God's going to do. And wherever you are in that spectrum, guess what? You belong. You belong here. You might have walked into this place. And you have that, that, that stereotypical happy family life where your marriage is great, your kids are great, you drive your car, your favorite car, your job is great, and you really have nothing to complain about because life is awesome. But maybe you're in this place today and your marriage is struggling right now. And you're walking through it. And you're not sure how it's all going to work. And you're not sure if it's going to even make it through. And maybe your kids are running away. And maybe your kids aren't sure what's going on. And you're sitting there pulling your hair out going, how do I love them? How do I show them they're not alone? How do I walk through this with them? And I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm, I'm at my wit's end and I'm, I'm stuck. And everything in between. Guess what? You belong here. Some of you might have walked into this place and you're like the leper. And you have no other options left. All you know is that, God, I need you and I'm out of options. And if you're really, 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 really honest with yourself, you might have been like the leopard, like, I don't even know if I want to go to church today. Because if anyone knew what I did, what, I, what I'm currently stuck in, I would feel so embarrassed, so full of shame. Guess what? You belong here. You belong here. I don't care what you've been through. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know where you're at in your faith. But all I know is that you belong here because you belong to him. That leper had no connection to Jesus, had no, you know, no good thing, no spiritual favors. All he did is he came to Jesus and said, God, I know you can do this. Will you make me clean? And before he even preached a word to him, he says, hey, I'm willing. Be clean. And it's after that that Jesus kind of says, hey, go to the priest, do your thing. But when you break down the instruction, he basically says, hey, go and sin no more. Go and live the life I've called you to live. Everybody in this place, I believe that God's calling you out. I believe he has plans for you. He sees you. He cares for you. And sometimes we self-deprecate and we exclude ourselves because we don't think we're worthy of God's love. When more than anything, he wants you to belong to him. Joshua chapter 8 says this. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is 
uh, written in the book of the law of Moses. An altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. Riley, I'm going to borrow you wherever Riley is. Can you help me lift these rocks? I'm not strong like Riley. And I'm putting you on the spot here. Yep. Two rocks. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that man right here. Can we give it up for Riley? Putting him on the spot. All right, here's the deal. In Old Testament times, if you wanted to get right with the Lord, if you wanted to get close to God, you had to construct an altar. If you wanted to connect with him, you would, you would construct an altar of much bigger than this. You would put an animal sacrifice on there, and it was a whole bunch of craziness that we're not going to do. So church gets weird, but we're not quite that weird yet. We're not going to sacrifice any animals up here. But here's the deal. An altar was a place in which they would sacrifice animals because that was the way they connected with God before Jesus came. And Joshua chapter 8 says it's an altar of uncut stones of which no iron tool had ever been put to it. When they built an altar, they were making a place in which they would connect with God. But the integral part about this is it had to be an uncut stone without any other critiquing, any other thing going on because they want it to be pure exactly how God made it. So when you look at Joshua chapter 8, an altar of uncut stones, the reason that you didn't use a tool, you could have certainly grabbed a rock, chiseled away, and you could have made an altar that looks beautiful on the outside, but that's not what God's calling for. He's calling for an altar of uncut stones because he wants it exactly how it was created. So many times in our lives, we try and put on a face. We try and clean ourselves up so we can look right to God. We can try and make it all right to God, but that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for uncut stones. He's looking for us to come exactly how we are because he desires to use us exactly where we are. The very thing that you hate about yourself, the very thing that you feel like disqualifies you from a connection with God might be the very thing that he intends to use for his glory. The very thing you're walking through, the very battle, the very thing you cannot seem to shake might be the very thing that 10 years from now, when you see someone who's walking through the same exact thing that you're walking through right now, you're going to be able to say, hey, have faith, take heart, because guess what? Here's what God did for me, and he can do the same thing for you too. You belong here. You belong here at the Bridge Church. You belong here exactly as you are because we want you to know you don't have to perform for God. He'll change you from the inside out. Make no mistake. He'll challenge you. He'll shape you. He'll morph you. He will do all of that, but it's as a result of what he's done inside, not as a precursor to that. Mark chapter 10. I want to close with this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. There's that word again. Indignant. 
He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed him. Indignant. The disciples were keeping the children from him. And when he was being kept from them, he was indignant because he said, I want them close to me. We're not called to keep people from church. We're not called to keep people from Jesus. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to be light in this world. So when I look at where we're going as a church, when I look at what I want to be as a human being, what the vision that we have here for our church, for our community, for our town, is for people to feel like they belong. We're not looking for perfect people because they don't exist. We're looking for uncut stones who can come exactly as they are. They can feel like they belong to something greater that God has for them. Whenever I drive through our town, whenever I drive through our school parking lots, whenever I go through all the stuff in our town, my heart breaks because there's so many people who feel like they can't belong to a church because they got stuff. They got addiction. They got mistakes. They got things they did. They got regrets. And they don't feel like they can belong. But that's so backwards than anything Jesus ever preached or did. You know, that's exactly why you belong. And that's exactly why I died on the cross. Because through me, you do belong. So when I want this place. I want everyone who lives on that side, everyone who lives on that side, everyone who's not yet here to know that when you walk into this place, you belong. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last year. I don't care what you did 20 years ago because at the end of the day, if you believe in Jesus and you believe in what he did for you, you are forgiven of your sins. And you're not broken goods. You're made new. You belong. You belong before you believe. And it's your belief in him that helps you become the man he, or woman he's called you to be. You belong. Across the entire gospel, Jesus loved first. He loved first. So as a church, we want to prioritize this. This church is not a building. It's not a parking lot. It's not a place on 6443 Norris Lake Road. The Bridge Church is a group of people who love him. So when you're in town having dinner and you're loving people well, you're the church. When you're at a sporting game and instead of jumping in on the referee who's making all the wrong calls, you're being gracious. When you meet that person who fries you that person who deserves all of the hate that's coming to him, and you choose to love them instead, you're the church. You don't just belong here at the church. But I'll take this another step further and say, as a church, what are we doing to make people feel like they belong outside of our church? How are we treating people when we walk off this property? Are we making them feel like they belong? Because they do. You belong. When you belong, you change from the inside out. So on a practical, practical note, here's something that I'm super excited about this year. This is our kickoff. 
We're so excited to kick off all that God's going to do this year that's not yet been done. But here's how we're going to do it. As Riley said, we have nine different connect groups that are launching in the next month or so. There's all kinds of different things. There's recovery groups. There's Bible study groups. There's groups that's like, I'm new to faith. What's next for me? There's groups where it's like, I, I feel like I know the Bible well. I'm, I'm really deep in there. I just want to go deeper. There is something for every single person in this very place. And over some of you, you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Take your time. But if I could challenge you, one of the quickest ways we grow as a person in our faith it's to be with other people who believe. Who we can be honest with. I'm struggling this week. I'm doubting this week. You will find some incredible people in this church. And if you put yourself out there, I promise, not only are you going to grow, but you're going to feel loved. You're going to feel cared for. You're going to feel like you belong. It's a family in this place. One where exactly as you are, you belong. So this morning, as we get out of here, we go and have some food, chips, and meat, watermelon, all the good stuff. Just know you belong. And next week, we're going to talk about all the more groups in depth. But this week, would you do me a favor and just pray about what it looks like for you to maybe join one? Because I want you to grow. I want you to feel like you belong. Join us as we continue to reach our community for him and make people feel like they belong. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you. Thank you, God, that no matter what we walk through, Jesus, you're there for us. And God, I want to pray for the person in this place today who's maybe telling themselves that they don't belong. Their problems are too big. Their mistakes are too egregious. Their shame is too intense. I pray, God, that today they would be encouraged by what Paul says, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's that simple, Lord. We just have to believe in you. Trust that you are who you say you are. The man who died and took our sin upon his shoulders and rose again so we could be free. Jesus, I pray that we would walk that out. And as we go forward from this place today, we would make other people feel like they belong as well. Jesus, we give you this place. We give you this day. Lead us, guide us, direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You belong here no matter what and we're going to continue to go after all the things that God has for us so if you're excited for what he's going to do would you just put your hands together this morning as we're outside this has been a podcast of the bridge church have a great week stop in Sunday sometime and visit if you would like to give you can do so online at sfbridge.org have a great week